Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of FNI Rap Chat on the Headstuff Podcast Network with myself, Paul Butler Lennox, today. I uh, hope everybody is gradually returning to work and uh, avoiding the pubs um, responsibly. I um, hope everybody's keeping really well. We've, uh, we've Thank you very much for your support recently uh, for our FNI at Home events over the last couple of months. We've uh, tried to give a varied and uh, uh, motivational grouping of uh, interesting people to keep people occupied and busy and maybe give something, uh, you know, people some, some things to look forward to on, you know, kind of bi-weekly basis. So thanks for that. And also for uh, thank you very much for supporting uh, Bombulance, the Children's Ambulance Service, which we've uh, been supporting all the way through this. So you're very good. It's very much appreciated. And, uh, you know, um, uh, just on behalf of everybody, we really, really appreciate it. Um, also, if you'd like to support Film Network Ireland, our podcast services, classes and related bits and bobs, head on over to www buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. Um, today, um, we are, as you know, we're working with Still Voices Film Festival uh, and we're really, really delighted uh, to support um, primarily up-and-coming films. It's a short film festival, so uh, up-and-coming uh, filmmakers, actors, directors. So this is kind of our remit as we see ourselves very much as a grassroots organization. So it's really exciting for us to discover new people, new voices, new talents and you know, and, and also meeting these people as well. So we're delighted with that. Today, uh, we are joined by Laura O'Shea and Damien Varley. Uh, what's your name? Where do you come from? What's your favorite color? <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, da- as we start with you, Damien. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the name of your film, a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. The name of the film is Life After Life. Uh, we filmed it, we were actually filmed it out of Limerick uh, last August. And it centers around the main character. It's a day in his life. It's a mental health story. Um, it kind of came to be a friend of mine who moved home from London last year. He had this play written and we were catching up over dinner and he was explaining that he wrote this play. Uh, we both kind of wanted to get into film and we're always trying to look for an avenue in. And it, it was probably the opportune time where I said, well, let's work on it and transition it from a play to a short film and let's see how we get on. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it was an unfortunate he had experienced um, a friend of his a death many many years ago, and it was probably kind of an ode to himself, um, to a friend in need and in trouble. So we 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 kind of transitioned the play into a screenplay of a day in a life of a guy who struggles with mental health and mm-hmm. you know a, a few flashbacks um, through various points in his life. So it was. Um, Probably a very heavy topic for our first introduction. To well, film. it's not a light romantic comedy, is it? To no, get to get to get the company up and running. Them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, Just throw people in at the deep end and the but, dark end. But I suppose that kind of helped you. I would imagine the play was considerably longer, so you'd you know a lot of material to work with. So therefore, you'd see a lot more of that on screen, right? Yeah, which kind of proves tricky as well because so much can happen in a play. And How do I kill my babies? Which which babies <laughs> do I kill? You're trying to condense it in and. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we were very fortunate. We have a, a great lead actor <coughs> um, in Mark Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that was the key thing for me is finding the right guy who can carry it because he's on screen for 20 odd minutes mm-hmm. and to try and bring an audience in and through that whole journey of, you know, what is a heavy topic and you're trying to bring them into your living room to show them your troubles and your anxieties, mm-hmm. um, I think was, was, was a huge thing for us. So, you know, it was it was a good introduction and quite a heavy topic to, to yeah, but, tackle. Yeah, but very important. I mean, you know, we need, people need to emotionally engage with these with these conversations, you know? 100%. I think that's what it is as well. It's, it's uh, you know, I think we've probably pushed the boat a little bit in certain angles of the story. Um, mm-hmm. There's no spoilers, so uh, <laughs> let people see it. Um, but we definitely pushed the boat in certain aspects. And I think... It, it does encourage uh, a conversation about things that are, you know, historically in this country uh, suppressed and, you know, you keep your head down and, 
uh, tackle things, you know, don't tackle things, but keep your head down mm-hmm. um, and, and ignore them and see if they get better. So we probably wanted to provoke a little bit of conversation uh, with it um, as well. So, you know. Yeah, particularly in the locality as well or in Limerick or, you know, in the Midlands in general. Yes, yeah. the, the initial character was actually set in Dublin and it's Dublin based. Right. Uh, we just kind of shot it in Limerick and it kind of went from different transitions to how that started to evolve in that we didn't want it kind of localized in any sense because it's, you know, it's widespread, it's everywhere, yeah. whether you're in the hills of Donegal or the center of Dublin City or Limerick, wherever you are, you know, people struggle, people go through highs and lows mm-hmm. um, and then people take that a step further and go through uh, depression and severe anxiety and, you know, it, it can lead and cascade into things that are um, a lot more serious with uh, no comeback. Absolutely. So they're the things that we wanted to try and tackle. Yeah, it's uh, uh, for anybody who is interested in kind of exploring that or struggling in any in, in any capacity, if you listen back to one of our earlier episodes, we did an episode called the, uh, the Mind Yourself episode. So we talk about... Um, we talk about some organizations and um, how people might be uh, can deal with uh, any difficult situations or anxiety and various different bits and pieces working on film and TV. So listen back to that episode. Um, and equally, you know, if you're having any problems, reach out to a friend, particularly at the moment when, you know, we're all kind of locked indoors a lot of the time. Um, yeah. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in, Laura. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about um, your film, how it kind of came to be, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, the short that I have in the festival this year is called Match. Mm-hmm. It was co-written, co-directed, and co-stars myself and um, my dear friend, Tony Doyle, mm-hmm. who's um, been a friend for years. We met in Bow Street a couple of years ago in acting school. Became very good friends with a Mark Lawrence, actually, um, who produced Match, funnily oh, enough. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and since then, myself and Tony have been working together a lot. Um, we wrote a play that we put on in January 2017, and from there, we just kind of decided we've got good chemistry, we work together well, um, let's just keep doing more of this. So mm-hmm. last summer, we decided to make a short, and it was just one of those things, it was like, right, well, what's going on with you right now? You know, what what have you got going on? And So he was, he was fucked out of his house, was he? <laughs> no, well, <laughs> funnily enough, like last, last June, like I had just gotten married, you know, and I was like, well, we ah, could make something, we could make something, thank you, uh, about maybe like a wedding or, you know, and he was like, yeah, well, I'm recently single and I'm just on Tinder all the time. And I was like, ooh, no, that's more interesting, you know, and, <laughs> and it was like, so tell, let's, let's talk about more, no, more about that. Um, yeah. So Match kind of came from that and just like that culture in general where, you know, um, you know, you give the illusion that you're connected, um, but it's the opposite. You know what I mean? You're chatting to people that sometimes your three or four conversations go on at the same time and mm. they're meeting very fleetingly. So. And how would you know that you were a married woman? Well, I did my <laughs> research. I did my research. <laughs> um, so it was just kind of, it started off there. So the, the short's about two people that uh, match. And yeah. then it starts up in the Wicklow Mountains where he's pulled up in the car and this girl hops in. And it's like, well, how are you? How are you? Okay, so are we are we doing this basically you know and it's just it shows the point of uh there's just no art of romance anymore with mm. online uh, technology with, in terms of dating apps and stuff but what transpires is they don't they don't really click at all at the get-go and it's like okay well let's just go grab a coffee and it kind of has that before sunrise vibe where they spend the whole night together yeah. uh driving around and getting to know one another and we eventually learn why each person has found himself kind of on the app and looking for another person to kind of just take solace in and they open up to each other over the course of the night and it goes from it goes from there pretty much um it's a sweet short yeah yeah, yeah. well we need more of them you know yeah uh, um i mean in every short selection you know they pick obviously there's lots of different reasons why shorts are selected for film festivals but they try to give a varied uh experience for the watcher you know mm. or the viewer um, it's definitely the relief short in the middle of a. Uh, block i think yeah yeah, yeah yeah and they all serve their purposes in mm. very different and very gratifying ways you know mm. um um so you actually you did a short uh, a while ago the one where you played the operator yeah hold the line yeah uh, yeah hold the line thank you so i much. really enjoyed that and i really enjoyed it because it just showed it's kind of the it distills the kind of essence of what short filmmaking really is is you're not curtailed Put it this way, I've seen shorts with much bigger budgets, or budgets. <laughs> budgets, full stop. Full stop. <laughs> that get nowhere near, the, you know, from a, a narrative point of view. Uh, you know, I, I came across it and I, I was sucked into it. Thanks so much. Which is, which is 
the, the best thing you can say about any short film. It was you know? it was a bigger shock for me than anybody else, to be honest. Like, um, it was it was just birthed from frustration of not getting work as an actor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'd been auditioning or not auditioning for a couple of years after finishing up in uh, acting school, and it was mm -hmm. just one of those things. It was like, right, well, it's not really going to change unless I do something to yeah. put myself out there. You know what I mean? So it was just a case of what can we shoot that will cost me no money that I can rope all my friends into <laughs> and that I don't really have to cast. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and was that your first one? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just it was just trial and error. Like, I was like, right, I'm going to write something. I worked in a call centre for a year in Limerick. And, right with you now, kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was like, there was just so many stories. And it, it literally, like, that happened in real life. You know, obviously the character of M in the short is is uh, dramatized a little bit with her own personal stuff. But, you know, I was chatting to Patsy's on the phone most weeks. Yeah, yeah I did in, it as well. Centre, years you know? ago, yeah. Hi, yeah, I'm calling on behalf of FNI Rap Chat. Yeah. Can I speak to uh, Mr. Patel? <laughs> yeah, that's the worst, it. I had a really horrible experience. I, 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 it actually happened more than once. But um, you're calling up and you're asking for someone who died recently. Mm. And the spouse comes to the phone or, the, you know, or the yeah. widower. And they're like, I'm sorry, they're dead. And then you just, your heart sinks. What do you do? Like, what yeah. do you even say? You know, um, it's a shit job. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. a job's a job's a job, right? Yeah, exactly. I have friends yeah. that watched it and they were getting like Vietnam flashbacks. You know, friends that still work, <laughs> that used to work in the center, they were like, oh dear God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, necessary evils, right? Um, yeah. So it's a really good process. I mean, we spoke about it earlier beforehand. I mean, that transition, it's such a, a fickle industry and a tough industry to get into. Mm -hmm. Creating your own content mm. is just the best uh, leapfrog into it because you're exposed to every aspect of it. I mean, if you want to Agreed. be an actor, but mm -hmm. you write your own stuff or a director, whatever you are, write it, yeah. make a hundred mistakes, uh, yeah. do it with no budget, big borrow and steal, mm -hmm. and just learn. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. It was the best know? thing, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's sparked on the fire to kind of just keep making yeah. stuff then and not, yeah. not be waiting for and the you love it. You begin to love it more. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. You know, that's the most important thing. I mean, you look at, like, even a lot of people that have come on this show since we started a couple of years ago, um, all of them, particularly actors, but a lot of directors as well, create their own opportunities. Mm. It's not going to happen for you. Magic, you know, suitcases full of magic money don't appear on your doorstep. Mm. It doesn't work like that. Um, you know, ingenuity and a bit of graft and humility and, um, you know, courage is what it is. Yeah despite your failures, to kind of keep going. Failing better, mm. uh, uh, Courage is the biggest thing to do it. Mm. Uh, not even to fail, but to, if you want to do it, just mm -hmm. do it. Uh, no matter how rubbish the story may be, mm -hmm. no matter whether it's, you know, we all carry phones and most of them have really good cameras, even to shoot something on that and just yeah. learn how to tell a story or what what's involved and just take the leap if you want yeah, to do it. Yeah, take the risk. I mean, absolutely. I mean, everybody has to start somewhere. I mean, anybody who's judging anybody um, in terms of their level of work on, you know, partic particularly with no budgets, have no soul. Yeah. You know? And they're probably the same people that aren't doing anything. <laughs> they're exactly. doing nothing. You know, yeah, so yeah. you don't concentrate on that. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Damien, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into filmmaking. Yeah, well, I'm from a very different background. Um, I, I was a professional rugby player for uh, 10 years before I retired. Oh. Filmmaking was something I wanted to do since I could think and walk and, and do everything. And, and at certain points... Throughout my teenage years, I wanted to give up school and college and, and go to London and study acting. And maybe it's a little bit of that I had no courage to do it. Um, my parents wanted me to get an education first. Um, and then when I left school and I was in college, uh, rugby kind of just started kind of going well for me. And um, things progressed. I ended up having, having a, a career out of it. So then when I retired, you know, you're, you're starting from scratch again. I ended up getting a, a job. And you kind of put off these um, these goals that you always want to achieve. I, I sometimes find you put them off to do something and, you know, you have to put bread on the table and, and, and all those mm -hmm. uh, trivial things. Um, but eventually it kind of got to a point where I, kind of went, I have to make a decision mm -hmm. and I have to do something. Um, and, you know, Rory uh, Carmody, the writer of, of, the, of this, uh, it was kind of coincidental. He was moving home and he had something and we had a, we had something viable in front of us that we could say, right, well, we can throw some sort of budget together between us for this and uh, let's see what happens. So it's a very different uh, career, but I mean, it's something that I've always wanted to do and will continue to do. I, 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 we, we've had a discussion about this just to get back to the mindfulness or the mind, the, the mind yourself episode that we had before. 
uh, the, like there's elements of sports psychology which are applicable absolutely mm-hmm. to what filmmakers do mm-hmm. and actors do. Whereas, you know, in the, I suppose in this, in, in film and TV in particular, there's less supports out there. I mean, you, I mean, you played, at, you know, a really good level or top level. Um, you know that if you're not, I mean, is it was it a case when you were playing that if someone spotted you were a bit off, that someone would be saying, well, what's wrong there? And trying to fix that problem immediately. Yes, but it would be said in much harsher terms <laughs> and much more colourful language. And but, I, but, but they I, did they go out of their way to make sure you're back performing to the level you're, you, they're used to seeing. Oh, right? correct. It's, it's one of the biggest lessons I've ever taken from professional sport into business and, and filmmaking, whatever it is. Yeah. It's the accountability. I mean, if we're all working on a project together and you're doing something wrong or I'm doing something wrong, it's never a personal attack on anyone to say, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you're don't do that, that's rubbish, and what type of person are you? It's kind of, gonna, you know, how do we make this better? Yeah. And I found that very applicable to, um, I suppose, the film that I, that I was directing. It's, you're trying to convey a certain image or scene, and you're trying to create, tell this to actors in different settings, and you're trying to tell a cinematographer and all this. And I think it's that ability to kind of communicate that, helps and mm-hmm. you know I'm fortunate that I've had a lot of experience in that kind of communication field and you know you're not effing and blinding anyone out of it but it's it's certainly I think a good um, life lesson I think in working with people mm-hmm. and trying to mm-hmm. get goals and, and, and do goals and it probably gives you a little bit more you know gumption to have that courage to achieve. <laughs> yeah I suppose to have a neck like a jockey's uh, bits yeah, and pieces. It helps. <laughs> it helps. Yeah um, Self, how do you self motivate them? Curious about this, just to see what parallels there are from sport to. Um, how do I self motivate? I, I think. I mean, obviously, you suffer from the same fears and anxieties as everybody else. Oh, uh, probably even more so. I mean, I, I think a lot of sports people suffer from an imposter syndrome, yeah. um, where you're constantly trying to get better and constantly thinking. I'm not good enough and why am I surrounded by all these other, mm. you know, really good sports people or in this case, all these people who know so much about film and I, it's my first one and mm-hmm. uh, I'm way out of Don't my worry, we're all fucking spoofers. <laughs> we're all spoofers. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to know that. So I, you know, I, um, I, how do we motivate ourselves? I think it's, for me personally, it's almost guilt that if I, if I have this um, thing that I want to achieve, I'm almost guilty myself constantly mm. and saying, well, why, am I, why aren't you doing something yeah. to achieve it? Either mm. sitting down for an hour writing or picking up the phone and meeting another filmmaker mm. for a cup of coffee and see what's out there. And, you know, there are so many collaborations that can be done, so many different people with the same mentality, but just, yeah. you know, miles apart in terms of a network. Uh, so I, I, for me, it's just constant guilt and constant on my shoulder saying, well, do something, you lazy fucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you I know. feel like for me, the motivation is the price of Dublin rent, to be honest. <laughs> yes. um, like, you know, it's like you don't want to move all the way up because like, like yourself, I'm from Limerick, like, and I made the move up to to be an actor and eventually now I'm making, making films. But like, you know, if look at me, ma. If you're gonna yeah. come up and do that, like, and pay out your nose to live in this city, yeah. like, uh, that's what motivates me to do something. Because yeah. otherwise, I could be back home with my family and friends and paying probably half the amount of rent to have a big house, yeah. rather than paying twice the amount of rent to have a small apartment in town. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, that's I, what I does it for you. Is like the, the cost of living in Dublin is what motivates me to be honest. Because if I'm not if I'm not going to be here doing what I came here to do then why am I paying Correct. an outrageous amount of money yeah. to be here? You know what yeah. I mean? It makes no sense. So I feel like that's my... When I when I pay that monthly rent, I'm like, right, I better do something. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Probably particularly now, you know, in the aftermath, or, or please God, soon the aftermath of a pandemic, where yes. the evolution of how people work and collaborate and you can work from distance and Zoom and mm. all this um, new wave technology, you, ha- you only put yourself in Dublin so you can meet other people in the industry you want mm. and you're exposed to that because you can yeah. you know now you can work anywhere mm-hmm. so why wouldn't we live in Limerick and yeah. pay a fraction of the rent that mm. we pay up here and commute up and down but I think it's putting yourself in those networks where you exactly, get to meet yeah. other people and yeah. mm-hmm. throw ideas around the table and see what happens yeah more yeah. often than not it's your friends that motivate you as yeah. well you know what I mean yeah. people are people are always doing something I yes, find there's always yeah, somebody yeah. that you meet that are like oh I'm doing this it's like alright okay well then maybe I should be yes, doing something yeah. too you know yeah. even yeah, though jealousy is a great motivator yeah it is yeah <laughs> Um, Social media. We um, 
I mean, one thing, even from a Film Network Ireland perspective, we've been doing a lot of online stuff over the last three or four months with kind of mixed responses and mixed success rates and whatever else. But um, one th like with if you've been following the FLA this year, because it was all online, the Galway Film FLA, and obviously all the festivals, but the FLA, I think, were the closest in terms of capturing the nuances and the essence of a film festival within this big construct. I think, like, in terms of, like, a, say, a broadcast TV show, which is what it was over, you know, three or four days, they, they, they captured that really well. Do you think, like as filmmakers and particularly short filmmakers at this moment in time, do you think that w would, working in that capacity where your material is online, do you feel robbed of the opportunities of meeting people? Or do you like it in a way because you can kind of prepare more and if you have Zooms, you're a little bit yeah. more... Well, know. I was only saying to Damien outside, um, Belfast were the first festival to do it this year mm -hmm. um, to huge success because I was just, just earlier I was saying that we went up for the launch Mm -hmm. The first week of March, everybody was having bottles of beer, saying, great, see you in a few weeks, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Then a week later, obviously, everything kicked off and they had to pull everything very quickly together to put the, the festival online. Um, I was going to say then everything exploded, but I shouldn't mention yeah. explosions yeah. in Belfast. But we, very quick, we were kind of like, look, we'll, we'll roll with it and we'll see how it goes. And it was a great weekend. It yeah. was the first, maybe second week of lockdown, everybody was at home. So they pushed the absolute life out of it and we got so much feedback on the short, like more than we'd ever gotten on a short at a festival before um, because there was hundreds of people or thousands or whatever over the course of a weekend mm -hmm. um, logging on and all the filmmakers connected online um, or yeah, messaging I mean, each other. I mean, you have to think like, like the yeah. flat, five million people registered in some capacity to watch something in the flat. Yeah. Five million yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, if you're a short filmmaker, surely you want those type of numbers watching yeah. your film instead of, uh, you know, 150 yeah. people. So in there's a, a lot to be said for it, I think. There is. I think yeah. as a filmmaker, you want people to see, see your work. You want as many people as possible to see your work. Mm. Some will hate it, some will love it, some will, won't care. Mm. Um, and I think all this stuff online, I mean, it, it, you have bigger exposure to greater numbers and I think that's a huge beneficial um you know, take, but the networking thing then is probably the challenge. Yeah. Um, because it's good to meet people for a drink or sure, a cup yeah. of coffee. And, you know, mm -hmm. as I said, it's all about, this is a people business. Yeah. Uh, getting to know people and just having that chat. And I, I think that's the one thing you miss from. Mm. Yeah. When Definitely. Go online. Yeah, I think that's what, I mean, they should, certainly all the, the bigger festivals should try and marry some of the elements that worked when things get back to normal, you know? Yeah. I mean, for example, I mean, I think it should be a given that if you, now I'd always, know, like 10 times out of 10, go and see a film in the cinema because mm. that's the way it's supposed to be seen. Yeah. Mm. But if I missed it for whatever reason, because if you go to a festival, you have a few pints, you have a bit of a head on the next morning, you yeah. maybe you don't yeah. make it, you know, yeah. but you go, oh shit, I would have liked them to. I think the possibility of being able to see things that are geo-blocked yeah. mm -hmm. so that they don't leak, so that they don't spoil it going to America. And let's be honest, with a lot of shorts, they're not going to, they're not going to be pirated. They're not. Mm. Yeah. Unless it's, you know, and even with the like super successful ones, they're still not really sure. ripped. Mm. Um, so I think they need to, like, I, you know, there seems to be the feedback, generally speaking, from a lot of people that I, I've spoken to, particularly. That's another reason why we wanted to do podcasts with everybody that was involved in this festival. So you guys get to kind of meet maybe one or two of the other people that you wouldn't mm -hmm. have, which, you know, obviously, if you're in the Midlands or whatever, uh, or if you're in Longford, you would have met each other or whatever when it was on. Um so, yeah, so we're going to try also to organize uh, during the week of the festival a big Zoom for all of you so that you all ah, meet each other as yeah, well. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. So you know who you're, you know, oh, yeah. faces to names yeah. and all that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, what's... Everyone with a pint in the background. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, drinking Aldi wine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what's next for both of you? What are you working on? What are your kind of hopes for the future, apart from leaving your house? Do you want to go sure. first? <laughs> yeah, um make more yeah. um i think to put it really simply um you know i i think what laura said about coming up to dublin uh trying to be an actor and just making your own content it is being the captain of your own ship and you know having greater control over what you do uh so for me i mean i want to make more films work with some really cool people um and tell stories that i want to tell so i, I mean i'm working on uh, another short and trying to pen a feature um at mm -hmm. the minute so that i'm sure that'll take me some time yeah 
you know. Keep an eye out, and, and the same goes for everybody else. Uh, we'll be we're running uh, online courses with Screen Skills now coming up, um, uh, funding from Screen Skills and Screen Ireland. Um, it's really important for people to upskill. Everybody that has come on this po podcast are all taking classes, you know, and these are people who are, have won big awards. It's every day is a school day, and if you think you're on top of these things. You, you know, you have a problem. Mm. Um, so you should be upskilling. Um, uh, and do you, like, are you, is that, like, is that your thinking with these things? Or are you just trying to bash out a, you know, a draft and then if you need changes or whatever, a script don't, do you look at it then? I think for me, um, getting the concept of the story, I don't think I'm a really, I'm not a screenwriter, um, but I, I kind of try and like to come up with the concept and then, mm -hmm. you know, Bring other people in, but I hundred percent agree that everyone should upskill. If you're in any industry in the world, everyone mm -hmm. upskills. Whether you're a CEO or just uh, you know an analyst, you know, and I think that's a really good thing um, to do. All these courses in screenwriting or producing, directing, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think for me it's collaboration and, and and working with you know screenwriters who who are good at what they do and you know allow us develop. The way we develop hiring good people and letting them do, let, letting them do their jobs. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that's the best thing. That's why they're good at what they do, and everyone falls into their own little kind of yeah. niches. Yeah, and how about yourself, Laura? Um, at the moment, so at the start of January, myself and Tony were selected um, by Jim Cummings for the short to feature lab in mm. Malibu. So he selected Match as one of the shorts, and I got to go over for a week-long workshop um, just to talk about how you can make a short into a feature because that's what he did um, really successfully with his shorts on the road. So from there, we came back with kind of fire in our belly to... Ah, it's on the road. That was a big, big hit of yeah, the Yeah, so yeah, he yeah. Does, um, so he does a workshop every year with a couple of filmmakers and does basically how he did his short into a feature and how it's applicable and all that kind of stuff. So I learned lots that week and came back with fire in the belly to kind of make a feature. So over lockdown, myself and Tony knocked out a first draft um which we've sent off to a couple of people now for you mm -hmm. know a handful of people for uh, some feedback and the general vibe is this pants or is this sport pursuing um and then most recently i bet you the general vibe is it, it's pants worth pursuing it's pants worth pursuing yeah yeah <laughs> and then uh, yeah and uh, so at the moment that's what we're working on and uh, most recently i was lucky to be selected as one of the putnam scholars by Lovely. screen skills yeah yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. That's so, amazing, yeah. And yeah, Simon uh, Palavera's got I'm it. I'm chuffed, well. yeah. yeah, yeah well so um, we were two weeks into the three week class thing. So, like that, just upskilling, trying to learn as much as you can when you can, you know. Um, and that scholarship came with a little bursary. So, the plan is to use that now for another short next uh, year. Not for rent. No, no. The day job pays rent. <laughs> Don't mind the rent. Any money that comes yeah. from art is spent on art, you know. Yeah, um, right. So, the plan is to use that bursary now to make a short maybe early next year. Mm -hmm. um, while we're tipping away on the, the script. So there's a few bits going on, but... A few pots on the, few, the stove. few pots on the stove, yeah, yeah. Lovely. Um, we ask most people when they come on the show, um, just very quickly, how do you deal with rejection? All the time, I'm an actor. Like, I it's my second <laughs> default It's position. actually the job, isn't it's it? It's my default position, <laughs> yeah. So um, I think the trick is not to take it personally. And nine times out of ten, when you don't get the job, it's it's that whole thing from The Simpsons, you know, we're looking at the new Fallout Boy. That's what I'd be saying if you were one inch taller. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's mm. like, it's usually the most stupid thing is the reason why you didn't get it. It's not that you're not good enough. And that's kind of what I try to keep, whether it's acting or filmmaking or whatever it is, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just you're not the one for this. Correct. And you know? It could be a small little thing. And it's you, you can't take things personally. Yeah. Uh, rejection, I think, goes, it just... It is the industry, isn't it? Yeah. Nine times out of ten, you're going to be rejected. And one time, you might you might get lucky with something. Mm. Um, I've been rejected many times and many things in my life. <laughs> so it's, you know, you're going to get used to it. You know, it's, I, it. I've been used to it in sport, so it's kind of water off a duck's back a little bit. Is, <laughs> is there is it different? Does it feel differently? I mean, I know you're still at the kind of very relatively early stages of your film and TV career, but um. I think rejection is rejection. I think when you create content yourself, you feel a little bit more personal with it and therefore mm -hmm. they're attacking your baby. Um, but I think, uh, you know, there isn't much time for sensitivities. Yeah. I think if you want to progress, 
whatever anyone produces is not for everyone, even though you want everyone to see it. Some people will hate it, some people will love it, and there's an in-between. So I think if you, there's a certain headstrong mentality I think you have to have mm. to to be comfortable and confident in creating your own art um, and having, I suppose, the balls to put it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, continued success. Thanks a million. I'm really looking forward to seeing how people respond to the shorts this year. Um, keep fighting the good fight. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. It's going to be exciting to see what you do next. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Thank you. Will. Thanks. Uh, everybody, if you'd like to see all of the guys uh, work, it's available to stream from the 6th of August 2020 online. Like every all of all the good stuff at the moment is all online. Uh, if you go to the Still uh, Voices website, it's www.stillvoicesfilmfestival.com. And it's available from, all of the shorts are available um, from the, let me just double check this, the, yeah, uh, from the 6th of August. And the screenings will be on uh, adjacent days from 10 a.m. in the morning until 10 p.m. Um, unfortunately, you can't watch the films outside of Ireland because they're geo-blocked, but that's good, which means you have to, you have to <laughs> tune in and, and watch them there. And most importantly, it's free. So get yourself over to www.stillvoicesfilmfestival.com. Thanks a million, guys. Cheers. You're joining us on Skype uh, with three amazing filmmakers. Um, what we might do is just go around um, each one and just just tell us, and we can get used to your voices then a little bit. Um, so maybe starting with yourself, Cara, just tell us uh, a little bit about your film and your background before making the film. So, yeah, so my name is Cara Holmes, and I'm the director of Welcome to Bright White Limbo. Um, uh, <laughs> so it's like about the film I think it's um you know it's that kind of it, it blends dance performance and documentary um it's a short kind of 10 11 minutes about dancer and choreographer Ina Doherty um as you know getting behind her process and into her creative mind that would be uh it in a nutshell you'd be known uh, as an editor, a lot. This is were you. Is this the first documentary that you directed, or no? I've I've directed a few short documentaries, but yeah, like I've been editing probably um, freelance editor maybe for about twelve years now. Yeah. Um, and I suppose in between editing gigs, it's kind of you know finding the opportunities to make my own films. Yes. Um, and you know, kind of really kind of actively pursuing that and for the most part um in the last few years it's been kind of no budget and mm -hmm. investing in myself and, you yeah. know in my voice and all that kind of yeah. stuff and um, so yeah so like you know built up a few things um queen of the plow like you know one of them one kind of best short doc in galway and i suppose like all these things kind of you know you know, you're kind of like, you know, it builds confidence and you're kind of like, okay, well, you know, I kind of, you know, it's, it's, you know, taking it in stages, but, you know, I'd be kind of editing kind of long form documentary, feature documentary, and, you know, these kind of gigs would, you know, basically be for kind of two, three months at a time for the most part. So it is, so yeah, so I suppose in between that time, just kind of making space for, to direct. Um, and Isolt, uh, same question. My name is Isolt Taylor and I directed a short documentary called The Grass Ceiling. Um, <clears throat> it's based on an essay by uh, Irish writer and camogie player Ema Ryan. And in it, she explores uh, how our relationships with our bodies kind of inform how we see ourselves as kind of as women in the world and uh, how sport can give you the opportunity to kind of push past some of the con constricts that are on us, constraints on us, um, and how uh, courage and competition and passion uh, 
are things that are, um, in terms of our conditioning, not always available to women and girls, um, and how sport can kind of unleash the freedom and allow us to sort of occupy our own skin. So uh, she wrote this really, Ema wrote this beautiful essay, and I contacted her and asked her, could we try to adapt it, um, which she trust me to take it away and try and adapt it for screen. And um, I um, did that with Kennedy Films. Frankie Fenton was my producer. And yeah, we put a great team together and we were lucky enough to get Screen Ireland money. And um, yeah, the, the film was made in the same batch of uh, real shorts that Cara's gorgeous, gorgeous Welcome to a White White Limbo was in. And uh, yeah, I think it... Um, I'm really happy with it. That's great. Um, yeah, and Virginia, you know, we were in the same uh, group of Screen Ireland films as well. So I've seen I've seen your film uh, a good few times. I absolutely love it. So. Oh, thank you very much. I'd love to take credit for writing it, but I I didn't on this occasion. It's uh, I was I was very honoured to be um, asked by the the writer producer Emmeline Dowling uh, if I would like to come and direct it, and it was. Um, it was actually, it was, I, I loved the script when she sent it to me, and it was also um, a, such a, a joy to not try and get something off the ground that I had written myself, you know, in other words, to just come on to direct, as I, I come from a writing and directing background, so the majority of my work I've had to grit my teeth and write myself, um, so it was a great, a great joy to, to do, um, and I thought she wrote a really emotionally truthful and and revealing little short for me it was had all the perfect ingredients of a short film really because it uh you know it's about a moment of, of change that is going to have a huge impact in, in someone's life which i think like good short stories good short films tend to to do the same thing um and it was al also kind of perfect timing professionally to me because uh i had just had a second baby uh, when our interview for uh, the panel to get the Screen Island uh, funding happened, so I think my baby was six days old at the time, uh, so I had to I had to Skype in and, and do wow. the interview and, and kind of mug up on everything I was thinking. But it was also I decided to do it because actually I I, um, I wanted the challenge of seeing. So I had a, a two and a half year old and a newborn, and we shot when the second one was about four and a half months old. But I actually thought it was a perfect way back into kind of physical production with, with young children just to kind of gear up. But, you know, I was uh, extremely privileged that my husband was able to manage the kids and bring, bring the baby to breastfeed every two hours in the set and do all of that. So it was, and luckily it was a very contained shoot, relatively speaking. But yeah, it was just a delight to be able to start to finish. Um, my husband might say otherwise, because as I say, he had to bring the baby to endless auditions and every two hours was on kind of this tether to come and find me wherever I was. But uh, yeah, it was a real family affair, so we had a, we had a great time. Brilliant. Uh, it's, there's no feeling quite like it when you get a script from someone else and you're like, oh, I know what to do with this. Yeah, it was it was, it was was really great. Yeah, and uh, all credit to Emmeline because not not easy handing over your baby to to someone else to, to direct, especially yeah. when you've, you've written and are producing it. So, but she was she was fantastic. It was great working with her. Um, Carrot, when was the first time that you remember coming across Una? Uh, it was four years ago, which is kind of mad. <laughs> so, like 2016, it was the Dublin Fringe Festival. Um, her show, Hope Punk, so the film is kind of based on that show. Um, yeah, so Hope Punks um, had two nights on in the Project Arts Centre and a friend of mine had gone to see it, um, totally raved about it the next day and then went to see it there and then in Belfast. Um, and really it was a case of just being totally blown away by the show and Una as a performer and, you know, the physicality and what she was saying and kind of the themes that she was bringing up in it and you know I wasn't necessarily looking for a project at the time but um, I looked up Una's website then afterwards you know and kind of had you know open to collaboration on the website and it was like okay well that's my way in and um, sent an email and you know since then you know and, and Una is a very collaborative 
person. Um, so yeah, so it's just been kind of lots of conversations since then. And I like she was working on another show, Hard to Be Soft at the time. She was kind of you know pushing on with something else. Um, so yeah, just kind of you know met up a few times and um, yeah, got to know her and then started talking about the documentary idea. And it was one thing initially, then turned into uh, Welcome to a Bright Limbo. Um, you know, probably about a year after maybe getting to know each other. And then it was, yeah, same with us uh, and Virginia, you know, it's that kind of the opportunity comes up with Screen Ireland and you just go for it. Um, so, yeah, so that, that was how we initially got in touch. Yeah. And what was the process for you in terms of coming up with the visual style? Um, it's it's very distinctive, very unique. Um was it was it daunting at all to try and you know to how do you get it on screen how do you get it from a show onto screen yeah um it was daunting um but i was kind of you know like you, you never really know how it's going to turn out you know i i was really interested in una Doherty as the person and you know how she created um you know very much kind of her process and getting behind the scenes in that way and um, you know, because she's a performer and, you know, I suppose I've seen other kind of visual stuff that herself and Luca Truffarelli, the DOP, would have done. They would have made kind of promos for Una's dance show and really liked Luca's aesthetic as well. Um, so, yeah, it would have been a case of, you know, just initially it was like doing a lot of audio interviews, actually, with Una, just to kind of build up that the narrative and the kind of the bed and what it would sound like and how we might weave between kind of, you know, personal documentary and how she creates, because, you know, I suppose the whole way along, I was thinking, well, you know, will an audience find it difficult to separate the documentary part with the performance part? And, you know, that's where it starts to really blur the lines and, you know, just trying to figure out the structure of the dance performance. And then into Una and her own, like her her personal, you know, stuff and kind of her home. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was a work in progress the whole time. You know, I, I, I think when kind of we were applying for funding, there was a definite treatment. And, you know, I kind of followed that loosely. Um, but yeah, work in progress right to the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, do you work with an editor or how, how was that process how, in, in your films generally? How do you find that role? Yeah, I would have done everything myself bar, you know, filming for the most part. But oh. I knew with this one, I definitely wanted to work with another editor because for the space and also just uh, for the conversation as well and just, you know, and enjoying that kind of collaboration, you know, it was Mick Mann who cut it and we had a week with Mick um, and, you know, uh, you know, because, you know, we're kind of, you know, as filming and filmed quite a lot, you know, I suppose I was, you know, had the advantage of being able to sit with us, do an assembly you know, make my selects, do all that and have a really kind of solid kind of what I would like in the film. But actually having Mick and, an, you know, another voice and another creative voice to come on board to kind of just maybe challenge me on a few things as well. You know, why is that really there in your assembly? You know, you know, and it, it really did uh, work out. Um, well, yeah, it was something I kind of wanted to try to do and just... Yeah, it was an experiment as well because I would have cut most of my stuff, but um, yeah. it was great. Yeah. Uh, so Virginia, just on that question, um, so you have the story of this kind of hopelessly crap dad, and then <laughs> these amazing uh, two girls, um, but you managed to kind of blend. There's no real baddies in this, or even though the dad, how how did you approach? the two different sets of characters? Ah, oh, there's, a, there's a question. Um, so I what, I, what I was most drawn to in, in the story, of course, was that, it, you know, it's the, for those who haven't seen the film, it's the story of a, a very dysfunctional uh, and clearly probably alcoholic father 
who on an impulse takes his two very young daughters on a day trip and essentially abandons them for the majority of it. Um, and I, I really liked the story because throughout the, the story, the audience is, is kind of wrong-footed, or the reader when I was reading it was, was wrong-footed, thinking that you have a sense that something terrible is going to happen, and you're pretty sure it's something to do with the father and possibly the children. Um, and something, something dreadful does happen, but it's, it's not at all what, what you expect. And I was very drawn to the truth of it because the children, um, as I think is, is common to a lot of people who've had dysfunctional parenting or listen, we're all dysfunctional, you know, children instinctively love their parents, no matter what damage is, is done. And I thought there was a, a real, truth to that for the older girl and her relationship with her dad although she's furious with him angry with him uh, hates him can't stand him there is also love there and i thought that was was very uh, important and very illuminating um and when we cast it and when martin mccann was was good enough to come on board i remember one of our very early conversations was about you know reserving judgment, withholding judgment on the father, you know, that we can all sit as an audience and have our feelings about him. But for any person who's in the grip of an addiction or, or um, you know, any any form of illness that way, they do their best. And I think he, he is doing his best. Um, you, you can judge him as impulsive or as, as selfish and all these things, and that may well be right. But um i i just felt it was very important to to humanize him and humanize those troubled impulses as well um and you have this thing with this film where i remember after seeing it in cork people were talking about it you know and i think a lot of people especially women seem to relate to the moment in the film where you kind of see the older sister step almost into adulthood even though she's very young she's yeah. taking over that mother role um yeah. how did you kind of work with the two young actresses to get that feeling yeah well first of all it was the, the i mean the casting process was quite arduous so um i worked with uh maureen hughes and her her wonderful assistant sarah who um did the majority of, of sort of sourcing the children so you know, I think initially I must have looked at somewhere between, I don't know, 60 to 100 uh, self-tapes of kids. And from there narrowed it down because obviously, you know, you're, you're trying to cast two plausible sisters and, and the ages were quite young. And I think both kids, we ended up casting two eight-year-olds, one to play sort of nine and one to play seven. Um, and then it was the audition process. So I think I probably saw between uh, probably around 30 kids initially and then callbacks. Um, and it was interesting because quite a few girls uh, actually auditioned with their sisters and the older girl in the film did audition with her younger sister. Um, but the younger one was was just that little bit too young. So we did a lot of improvs in the auditions. And then it was a question of the final, final callbacks was trying to put children together and doing extensive guided improvs with them. And, and the two that I cast, Alicia and um, uh, Casey, really stood out. And then I worked with them quite a lot before shooting. So we, I, I spent, I think, quite a few days with them, took them out, took them to playgrounds, just wanted them to be together, get to know each other really well. We went, we went and bought donuts. We, you know, sent them into shops in character, which kids just love to do, just mucking about. Uh, and then, you know, once they were really happy and, and had bonded together, we started working just on a couple of scenes, mainly the physical scenes, like the one in the toilet, um, and just getting them really at ease with each other. So screaming, shouting, crying wasn't embarrassing in front of each other. So, so that's how we did it. Because um, Casey, the older girl, had never done anything at all before. I think Alicia had done a commercial or two, so was a little bit more aware of how a film is put together, but Casey didn't. So it was just quite important that we were all very happy and at ease together, really. Um, yeah, because I yeah. guess there's always a fear with child actors that in a room, in a small room, during rehearsals, they might be great, but mm -hmm. the daunting feeling of being on a set. Uh, so what, I guess, was it a case of 
you know, kind of managing that on the shooting days as well? Yeah, it was. It, it absolutely was. I mean, the crew were wonderful. But a lot of them had children themselves. There was a very happy, easy atmosphere. But yes, certainly the the older girl who had never done anything before was initially very, very nervous. And there were certain scenes where she would get nervous. And I think that's where the the fact that we had gotten to know each other pretty well and really trusted each other and she trusted me paid off because... Uh, um, you know, I could I could eventually get her to where she needed to be, and it wasn't a traumatic process. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes with children, you you as a director, you have to kind of do within reason, obviously, whatever it takes to get them there in a way that you wouldn't necessarily work with other actors. So sometimes I would have to give her a little bit of a line reading, or you know, things that you wouldn't dream of doing with a with a an older actor potentially, but. For the most part, she, you know, it was it was very very easy going. I mean, we had more issues with getting bloody seagulls when we needed them than we did getting the performances out of the kids. Not joking. We arrived in Bray, there were no fucking seagulls. Apparently, all the seagulls have now migrated to the city centre because that's where the food is. Okay. So we we literally had to send a runner down with chips about an hour before shooting, trying to attract seagulls. There you go. Who knew you couldn't get seagulls by the seaside? So, so that was the most difficult thing, that and the weather. Um, and shooting uh, in a dart station. Yeah, good luck to anyone ever trying to shoot with Irish Rail. That was that was quite fun. <laughs> but apart from that, yeah, the kids were the least of our worries, really, to be honest. Very good. So, uh, so you mentioned the poem or the, the piece that was written and uh, but I really liked how you structured the film and I thought the, the contributors that you chose were amazing. What was that process like? Um, kind of deciding well, on who, who, who you were going to actually feature. Yeah, so I wanted to have, the thing that struck me when I read the essay, The Fear of Winning, was that it's not like a kind of a every woman's story. So it didn't matter that she was talking about Kamogi. She could talk for anyone. So I thought that the idea of sort of plotting three sports together could work really nicely and that they could carry each other. Um, so I wanted to do uh, rugby and soccer. Um, so I, yeah, I just had to kind of do Google and then talk to people who knew people and uh, uh, eventually got to talk to Elisa Byrne White who plays rugby for El Belvedere and she played for Leinster as well and uh, a friend of mine um, and Karen knows her too, uh, Roisin O'Donnell who's an editor, had, I had talked to her so she kind of knew what I was looking for in terms of the teams and the I didn't. I wasn't looking for stars. I was just looking for someone who could um, could be themselves, you know, just bring something to it. So anyway, she suggested I talk to Elisa very much, and she, and I knew straight away when I talked to her that she had something really lovely to say that was really natural. And um, Rihanna is a bit of a soccer star, and, and um, but. I'd read some in, in newspaper interviews she'd given, and I just thought she seemed really cool and, again, really natural. So um, I got in touch with her through a few different sources, uh, like a kind of a, you know, four degrees of separation, and uh, thankfully she was up for it. So um, that's, how, that's yeah. how we got the, the women on board. Casting is, is so important. It's kind of maybe people don't talk about it as much, with documentary, but for something like that, like it, like it all kind of hinges on the casting. Yeah, yeah, it did, and, and we were we were lucky as well. Being careful, we were just really lucky, and um, I knew from chatting to them on the phone that it was going to work out. So it did. And uh, I love the look of the film. Uh, what was the thought process behind that and the Um Well, I wanted. For the, I didn't want it to. So most sport, when you watch it, you're out of a move, you know. And I wanted it to have an immediacy, um, so that 
the idea was all along that we could try and get the camera as close to the action as possible. So it felt like you were in there um, and, and we were trying to get, so I, uh, Eleanor Bowman, who's a brilliant DOP, agreed to film for me. Um, and uh, she was up for the same idea so that we were trying to get texture and skin and stuff where we could and to just try and keep to get a steady cam and get get some so a lot of the stuff was shot by Eleanor who's just got such a good and a quick eye um, and then we got some other stuff that was uh, from the steady cam and it uh, yeah just the, the two just worked really well together but yeah, we just wanted it to feel you were right in there in the action without it feeling like a commercial, yeah. um, which was quite hard actually because we tried to get funding the year before and there were, it would have been much fresher, but in that uh, we, we got shortlisted and didn't get the funding. And then in that year or so, suddenly there was lots of um, needle ads and stuff, which I applaud, but I was like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was good. I was kind of informative as well because I, there, I, it was a good reference to say, okay, well, I, I wanted to kind of be like this, but definitely not quite like this because, you know, there was a, it want, I wanted it to feel authentic, which is a total conceit because you can't be authentically in with somebody playing rugby or camogie or football. Mm. Um, but I think we pulled it off. Yeah, definitely. Or I, I didn't. Um, we didn't plan this but it just turns out that all of you guys are had screened Ireland funded shorts um, so maybe just to talk a little bit about for people people who are listening who want to get there is kind of something to really aim for um, just to talk about things that you learned from that process and how to pitch your projects, particularly talk about shorts, and um, maybe start with start with you, Isolt. Well, it was interesting. Like I said, that we had gone in the year before, and felt like we had done really good. We are really delighted to have got as far as the shortlisting process, and then not got the funding. So um, there was learning in that, and that we had to tweak. And you could also see that whoever is, you know, there. It, undeniably there's subjectivity in there if you're presenting to a panel and you know depends on who the panel is if, if your story is going to really appeal to them so I think there's no you can't deny human the human factor there and um, I think if you don't really believe in the thing yourself then nobody else is going to want to give you money to make it certainly not public money um, terrible start <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think you just need to have really interrogated yourself before you go in so that when you don't feel interrogated, you just feel like somebody's giving you an opportunity to express yourself. Yeah. Um, and that you're open to, I think, um, Virginia and Cara probably both know this as editors and writers that if you're we're used to and I'm an editor as well so you're used to drafting or doing re redrafts or rewrites in your case Virginia and so if somebody coming at you and, and wondering is there another way to do it or you know could you or how many iterations are there that are viable that's not too daunting if you're used to that process so I think that was helpful mm -hmm. um, that's great and um, same question Virginia I, yeah, I mean, I think this has given a terrific answer, which is essentially, look, you can't make everybody love the stuff that you love. So there's always an element. It's it's, it's a lottery, really, of, of whether they're going to respond to it. Um, I had a different experience on this project because obviously with, with drama, whenever you're going in for any funding, it's the script that's everything. And clearly, the the panel had, you know, had already loved the script enough or rated the script enough that it was shortlisted. So by the time I was called to to come and contribute, which was I think the the very final shortlist interviews, um, what was very heartening was that they already had a very good sense of it, and and 
So when I was able to talk about the, the themes that I saw in it and, and what, you know, it, it was all very organic in that sense. You know, my, my feelings about the material and how I wanted to approach it were, were very much in line with, with the writers and the producers. And, and I think the panel just saw that the, you know, there was nothing strange or startling that a director was going to come in and do um, and had responded very strongly to the, the material. Um, Emmeline, the writer, would be the person to ask more as to how long it had taken her to get to that point and to that draft. Uh, most writers will tell you that's that's the, the longest bit, you know, actually getting the funding is the the beginning of the next part of the journey, but getting to that point is, is a very, very long journey sometimes. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, it was, it was kind of a dream situation um, because it was very, very clear immediately I joined the, the panel because I had to actually Skype into that because, as I say, my baby had just come out of hospital. <laughs> um, but I could already hear that they were very enthusiastic about the material. And, and so my role in that session was really just to um, reassure them that we weren't going to do anything crazy with it and we're going to honour it and, and, and honour it in the best possible way. And Karen? Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose as I was saying, like, that, you know, I'd met Una um, a good while before we applied for Screen Ireland funding. So I had a lot of time to do, you know, research and read all the interviews and, um, you know, pretty much try and get my hands on as much material as possible to build up the, you know, the treatment. Um, and I, I've, I've been in the room before, actually, like Isolt, and it's kind of like I felt it was a real kind of you know, you know, it can be quite intimidating just on a personal level, you know, you're kind of um, you're in and you're kind of, you know, you're faced with four people across a desk uh, or five maybe. And, you know, and just be prepared for that, you know, and, you know, going back again, you know, just being 100 percent behind the project um, knowing that you want to make it and you're the right person to make it. Um, and uh, yeah, like I would say also that, you know, maybe in the application kind of, you know, pitching yourself as a filmmaker and, you know, you know, your kind of director's notes. And I imagine that that has an awful lot to do with kind of, you know, establishing that kind of visual style and, you know, your commit your own, you know, personal commitment to the project, because it definitely is. We all know, you know, kind of making sure it's like it's you know it takes as long as possibly a feature i might say um uh but uh yeah i mean i suppose it's kind of you know having the confidence in yourself as a filmmaker to kind of you know go in there and pitch the projects um and yourself and um and also you know I, I and you know i don't know if these things help but you know i did kind of like a test shoot with una you know and we were able to show that in the room and you know creating mood boards and i knew that the film was going to be a very visual piece um as well as kind of like interview based so i think you know anything that you can do you know at that stage of application or interview it, it it's all good i think um, that's great guys we'll leave it there um, thank you so much for taking the time and um, hopefully you'll all, I know some of you, your films uh, go down well at uh, Still Voices I know it's a bit of a change with everything moving online but <laughs> thanks so much and best of luck thanks so much thanks Paul thanks cheers <laughs>